Well, I have your copy of God's Word. I encourage you to turn it to, um, uh, to Psalm chapter 15. And if you don't have your copy of God's Word, you can use your phone or tablet. We have the, the scripture on the screen. Uh, this, this chapter is actually a pretty short chapter. There's only five verses in there. But trust me, there's a lot to unpack in this uh, chapter of Psalm 15. Obviously, we are in our Summer in the Psalm series. Obviously, we're not going to take the entire book of Psalm because that would take a little over three years. I think we might get tired of that after three years of going through the Psalm if we did that on Sunday morning. So what we've done is we've taken uh, 10 Psalms and we're focusing on 10 Sundays to walk through uh, those particular psalms. Uh, Joe uh, Salvatore, our student pastor, did a great job of starting, kicking things off um, with Psalm chapter 1, and I'm going to be in Psalm chapter 15. And this psalm here today um, really has something, uh, just a simple, um, simple thing that I think we all can use in our life. And, and, and it talks about uh, not being shaken, not being shaken in this world. And so um, if you get your, um, your copy of God's word, let's read through that. Psalm 15, verses one through five. It says this, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends people, I'm sorry, who lends money to the poor without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. You know, I, I love a list. I'm a list-making person. I live by a list. I, if I lose my list, I lose my mind. And I'm, I'm really OCD about that. Um, and even, think, even though I'm a list person, if I forget to look at the list, which is totally my fault, then my day is all messed up. And so what I love about this particular psalm is it is a list. It is just a simple list. And it's something that is very easy to sort of uh, understand and to uh, apply. So what is the goal of this passage? What does a win in the game of life look like according to this passage? It's right there in the last phrase. It says, whoever does these things will never be shaken. Now, in my 51 years of being alive, I've seen, I've seen lots of things be shaken in this world. I've seen marriages shaken. I've seen families shaken. I've seen corporations shaken. I've seen celebrities' lives shaken. I've seen churches shaken. And yes, I have seen pastors shaken. The Christian singer, Russ Taft, one of my favorite singers of all time, back in the 80s, he had this song back in 1987 called Shake. And the, the words of the chorus read this. All that can shake will shake. All that can quake will quake. To break the fact from the fake, all that can shake will shake. And it's true. All that can shake is 
going to shake, and you don't want to be shaken. So David starts his psalm with a question, with this question of who can stand in the presence of the Lord, who can be in his tabernacle, who can be in his holy presence, who can dwell there. The Hebrew word for the word dwell, the root word there, means most literally means to live somewhere as a stranger or a foreigner. And many people ask that question today, who can live in heaven? It's a big debate even, the, even today, even though we know who can live in heaven. The Bible talks about that. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you, have you ever asked the question, what, what, can I live in heaven? Am I able to live in heaven? Well, of course you can, because Jesus answers that question with his life, and he's laid the life on the cross, and as he died, and then he was buried, and he rose again, and he gave us life and gave us freedom. We can be in the presence of God through Jesus alone. But have you ever felt unworthy to pray? Have you ever felt in, in seasons in your life where you just feel unworthy to pray? Or get this, have you ever felt unworthy to read the Bible? Or have you ever felt unworthy to go to church? To just like go to church, it's like, I don't know what they're gonna think of me. I don't know what, I mean, they're just gonna judge me. They're gonna look at me. Maybe I'm not wearing the right thing. Maybe, you know, maybe I smell. You know, whatever it is, I, 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 just, I just don't feel worthy to maybe pray or read the Bible or even go to church. Well, can I tell you something? There's nothing you and I can do to gain our worth or to prove our worth. If you're waiting for you to start acting worthy, <laughs> then you will be waiting for an eternity. We don't sit in the presence of God because of our worthiness. We sit in the presence of God because of the worth and royalty of Jesus on our behalf, period. It's because of the worth of Jesus. And we can go, through, go to heaven and be with God. Why? Because if we have done this, if we have surrendered our life to Jesus, given our life to him, asked him to forgive us of our sins, and then we can go to heaven through him, Jesus is say, yes, Father God, that person's with me. That person's with me. It's similar, sort of similar in our house. Our house has, um, we, we, have, we have lots of you know, kids and stuff, so we have quite a you know, few bedrooms and stuff. And so upstairs, there's four bedrooms, and, um, and the master bedroom is, is upstairs, our, our bedroom. And um, the, the, our kids know that guests aren't allowed just to kind of come into our bedroom. It's the master bedroom, right? They aren't just allowed to just wander through the house and you know, end up in our bedroom, right? They, they kind of know that. However, they can come into our bedroom if one of our kids leads them in there. Like if they need to go get something and they say, yes, you can come in here. You can come into the bedroom. Yeah, my, my, my dad's sitting here you know, in the sitting area in the, in the master bedroom and He's reading, but yeah, you can come on in here. So a guest in our, in our house can go into our master bedroom if another family member is going with them. Why? Because a family member is going with them. It's kind of in a very simple way an understanding of how we can go into heaven. 
We can be in the presence of God. We can read our Bible. We can pray. We can do those things, even though we don't feel worthy to where we can go in through the worthiness of Christ and Christ alone. So Jesus makes us worthy if we have him as our Lord of our lives. But our faith in him must be genuine. Everybody say genuine. Genuine. Genuine faith. It must be genuine. So what is the evidence of the faith being genuine? What is the evidence of our faith being genuine? Well, the writer of Psalm, which is David in this case, and and, and David didn't write every Psalm in the book of Psalms, but this particular one he he did write. But David lists for us there in Psalm 15, the, the evidence that we can have a genuine faith. And he lists things here that will help us not to be shaken in this life. So what is the first thing we see? Number one, a blameless life. A blameless life. You and I will not be shaken if we have a blameless life. You and I will live a genuine kind of faith if we live a blameless life. You see that in verse, uh, verse two. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart. Now, the term blameless is a reference to reputation. It doesn't mean without sin. So I want you to understand that. Make sure it's like, well, there's no way I can live a blameless life, Pastor Frank. I mean, if it, if it takes, for me not to be shaken, if I need to live a blameless life, there's no way I could do that. I can't even go through step one of what you're talking about. So that's not, doesn't mean a life without sin. It means a, your reputation, okay, your reputation. It implies someone whose life offers no room for criticism from others. No room for criticism from others. So how does your reputation earn the label of blameless? Well, it talks about there in verse two. You do what is righteous and speak the truth. Honesty and truthfulness are necessary parts of our personal integrity. The Hebrew concept of the heart is not purely emotional. Terms translated as heart or mind and ancient writings are more closely related than they are of modern language. So if you anticipate dwelling with the Lord in heaven, you will demonstrate a righteous life on earth. Have you received salvation through faith, uh, through grace, through faith? You perform good deeds as a natural outcome and visible evidence of your salvation. So one passage, you don't have to turn there, in, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So a blameless life is, is someone who has trusted Christ as Savior, And even though you're going to fall down, you're going to fall down, but you just need to get right back up, ask for forgiveness, and keep moving on. And then as you continue in your life, you're going to live a life of integrity, and you're going to live a life to where there's no room for criticism from others. 
So that's what a blameless life there in verse two. So a person will not be shaken who lives a blameless life. Verse three goes on to explain the next characteristics of someone who displays an evidence of genuine faith or someone who will not be shaken. Verse three, it says, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. So we are to live a blameless life, and the second one is to have a bridled tongue. A bridled tongue. A bridle is something you put on a horse. You put on a bridle for a horse, and you put the bit in its mouth, and, you, and it connected to the reins, and that is how, if you're riding a horse, that is how you control a horse. If you don't have a bridle on a horse, that horse is gonna go wherever it, it wants to go with you on the back. And so if you want to have direction control to your horse, you need to put a bridle on the horse. Very similar to your tongue. To bridle your tongue means to restrain, check, or control your tongue by choosing what you will speak and what you will not speak. If you don't know how to bridle your tongue, then you will not be able to show evidence of someone who has a genuine faith. So what does it look like to bridle your tongue? David talks about that right there in, in Psalms. Talks about that in Psalms. He said, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others. So in other words, we can't be slandering people. Slander means to make a false statement, damaging to a person's reputation. Believers ought to avoid using language that harms others. They should show by their speech that they are followers of Jesus who speak the truth in love. Even if something is true about someone, we should not use our words to put them down, to demean them, or to disqualify them. Even though if something is true in their life, we should not use that opportunity. And this also includes not just our, our, our tongue, the way we, we, we talk, but the way our tongue is connected to our fingertips. In today's culture, our fingertips really do a lot of what our tongue would normally do. You know, I didn't grow up with a computer. I didn't grow up with social media, with the phone, with texting ability, didn't have that. I mean, if, if my brother and I, if we decided to be gone from the house all day, my mother and dad had no way of tracking us, had no way of knowing where we were, we would just be home by, by dinner or by dark, one of those D words. <laughs> we would be home and, and uh, we would be able to, you know, show, hey, we're safe after hours and hours of being away. But today, you have the ability to communicate, which is a wondrous thing, but it could also be something that could be harmful. Because the things that we really want to say, instead of saying them, guess what? We just type it. So even, not only just the words we say, but the words we type, we can't be putting people down. We can't be slandering people. We can't be saying things falsely about people. Okay? It's, it's a real epidemic nowadays with social media, especially with students. So, 
If you don't want to be a, a life that's shaken, then you want to live a blameless life, a bridal tongue, and you also will have a balanced belief. We see this in the first part of chapter four, I mean, uh, verse four, chapter 15, verse four, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who despise, despises a vile person but who honors those who fear the Lord. There are two things there. There are two things that are balanced. You've got to despise people who are vile, okay, who, who, don't, um, who don't, you know, follow, you know, what the Bible says, and then also those who fear the Lord, to honor those. So a godly person will not be shaken who respects those who honor God and rejects the lifestyles who hate him. It's easy to do just one of these. We see this unbalanced belief growing stronger in the church every year. For example, you can't accept the lifestyle of those living contrary to the Bible while also honoring the Lord or those who follow the Lord. You can't be, you can't be accepting of things. You can't be accepting of, of, of things that people stand for and believing in them and marching their parades if you're also living a life of, of Christ. Do we get my, what I'm talking about? You, that's, that's not a, you're out of balance there. <laughs> you have to live that, that balanced life and that balanced life of, of, of making sure that you are not accepting the actions of those and also following Christ. That is a balanced life. Now, let me understand this. Make sure you understand. There are lots of people that you probably know who do not live their life according to God's word. They're unbelievers. They, they just don't know. They don't understand. You don't have to expect them to live that kind of life. They just don't know the truth. But by golly, we are to love them 100%. It doesn't matter what parade they march in. We are to love them. And the, the prayer we should pray is, God, get a hold of their heart. Let them see the truth in my life. Help me to speak the truth in love and change their heart. Let them come to know you as Lord and Savior so that you can do a work inside of their life that's going to overflow into the actions of, of what they do. See, and you've heard me say this before, we don't start with their outer actions. We don't start by saying, you should be marching in that parade. Okay? We shouldn't. We should be sharing Christ with them through prayer, always begins with prayer, through prayer that God would draw near to the heart, that God would knock on the door of the heart, that they would open up their heart's door to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that God could change them from the inside out, and then till they realize, what am I doing here? What actions am I doing? What am I supporting? Because what I'm supporting doesn't line up with the Bible that I'm reading and that's how change happens. But understand this. If you believe that Jesus Christ is, is your Savior and you follow him, 
and you champion that life, you can't also go and support the actions of those who are living contrary to God's word. You can't. I mean, David says it right there, and he wrote that a long time ago. <laughs> who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. This unbalanced life in the church today is one of the main reasons or the main sources of unstable Christians who are now being shaken. It's really almost to epidemic proportions. There are certain denominations, certain leaders, many Christians who are just living this unbalanced life. And guess what? Those denominations have been and are being shaken. Those churches are being shaken. God's like, mm, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that. So if you want to live a life that's genuine faith, not be shaken, a balanced life, I mean, a, a blameless life, a bridal tongue, balanced belief, okay? And then we need to be bound by our words. We need to be bound by our words. Look there in, in verse four, in uh, the second part of verse four. Who keeps an oath even when it hurts, it does not change their mind. The righteous person is true to his word regardless of the consequences. Even when the promise you make is hard, it is God-honoring to keep your word. This is one reason why I believe many people think Christians are fake. They just don't keep their word. Or they say, well, I'm a Christ follower. I go to church. I'm in a small group. But then their life is something different. Their speech is something different. That is part of not being bound by your words. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you say, look, I, I do my best to follow Jesus. I know I make mistakes, but I'm going, to, I'm going to follow him no matter what, then we need to live our lives. We need to be bound by our words. If you said you would follow Jesus, you would, you're bound by your words to follow Jesus. The people who don't know Jesus need to see that you are a person of your word. I've said this before. Your life is the best translation of the Bible or, or the only translation of the Bible many people will ever read. Your life is the only translation that many people will ever read. So we've got to make sure that we're bound by our words, that we will do what we say. We will not change our mind. Of course, this, this goes beyond just how we live our life. If we, if we promise something, if we say we're going to do something, then we need to do it. We need to, we need to be there. If we say we're going to be there for someone, even for the littlest things, the smallest things in life, if we say we're going to do something, then we need to be a person of our word. We're going to do it. That's one of the things I share with my kids all the time. The Bennetts are people who stand by their word. If they say they're going to do something, by golly, we're going to do it. We are going to do it. So, be a person 
of your word. There are people that are watching you. There are people, your kids are watching you. Your family's watching you. We need to live a life that is bound by our words. Here at Lake Point Church, we ask people who decide to become members of Lake Point Church to, to, to sign a, a membership covenant. That membership covenant includes things like they're going to serve, they're going to attend, they're going to give, they're going to pray, they're going to do these things. And so even in that membership covenant, and we ask people to do those things, we see lots of people that do follow up with that. They say, you know what, I'm going to live by this. I've signed this covenant, I'm a person of my word, I'm bound by my words, I'm gonna be there at church, unless you're on vacation or something happens, but I'm gonna be there at church, I'm gonna give to the Lord, I'm going to grow in my faith, I'm gonna do these things to support the mission of what God is doing. Many people are doing that. And I know COVID kind of messed some things up. We get a pass from COVID. But I think we're, I think we're cl- climbing out of COVID, right? We are. Praise the Lord. We need to grow, we need to give, and we need to go. That's all part of that membership covenant. And we're going to be uh, talking more of that this in July and then on into the fall as we go into our Whatever It Takes initiative. We're going to ask people to do whatever it takes to grow, to give, and to go. Why? Because we have a mission, and that mission is to point people to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the mission of of Lake Point Church. It's simple. It's a one-sentence mission. I'm an easy person. I like simple. We point people to Jesus Christ, or to God through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we do. And so we've got to do whatever it takes to do that. So we've talked about four things, and this is number five. This is our last one. Five things in this chapter in Psalm 15 that talk about how to have a genuine faith so that your life will not be shaken, blameless life, a bridal tongue, balanced belief, bound by your words, and the last one, a benevolent heart, a benevolent heart. We see this in first part of verse five. Who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. So under the Old Testament law, Israelites were forbidden from charging interest when lending money to poor countrymen. Um, there is a biblical distinction between lending to those in need for their, for, for their need as opposed to lending for some business purpose. The Bible does talk about to, to, lend, uh, to lend money as a business proposal in order to gain interest. It's a business proposition. Okay, Jesus talks about that. He get, talks parables about it. That's very biblical. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong is to lend money to someone and expect interest in return or even anything in return. If you are truly a benevolent heart, then you're going to say, hey, whatever you need, you can, I can give this to you. 
if you have the means to give it. If they want to pay that back, that's between, that's between you and them. But they, people, should not, people should not expect to pay above and beyond that. The Hebrew terminology in this passage specifically refers to usury. Usury is a charging of unfair levels of interest. Some of y'all might be part of a, a credit card <laughs> that is usury. Man, I'm at 18%. Well, first of all, you need to get rid of that. But you may be in, in your life to where in seasons in your life where you have no choice and you feel used. I don't, I don't like, I can't stand when people use poor people or they use, misuse widows and those people who don't have much. And we, our family grew up not having much at all. I mean, I, I remember many, many, you know, uh, Christmases where people would bring in gifts to our family because we didn't have, we didn't have gifts. Our, my, my parents didn't have gifts. We lived in the trailer park next to the high school. In my years of high school, we, we just didn't really have much. And so there were many times that I have seen other people sort of use our family. Why? Because you didn't have much. I didn't like that. I have a heart because I've been there. I've known, I've known what, it, what it feels like. I have a heart for people who need help, and we can give them help. To, to me, I don't want anything in return. I don't want anything in return. Now, just so you know, we, uh, as, as our benevolence fund, um, and by the way, you can give to that benevolence fund at any time. You go to a website and go to give, and you can select benevolence. We try to keep some money in there. We do give our, um, uh, the people that we give money to, we do give them an opportunity if they want to give something like to pay a to pay part of it back. There's no expectation. There's no expectation. We, we don't give to, to people uh, and to say, okay, we expect that in return. However, we do give them that opportunity if they want to give a portion of that back. Why? Because it makes them feel like, hey, I was able to come back after this and give back to that. And, and we, don't have, we don't have many people that give back, but we've had some that give back. And to hear their testimony and to be able to say, or to hear them say, I had nothing, and God pulled me out of something by y'all's help, and I was able to get back on my feet, and I was able to give something back to what Lake Point is doing. That's, that's what we do. And, but at the same time as a church, if we give something and if the benevolence team approves it, there's nothing that we expect in return, but we do give them that opportunity. But to have a benevolent heart is so important. And it's interesting that, that, that David would put this in the, in the psalm here, but to have a benevolent heart, it takes us appreciating what God has given to us. It takes us appreciating what God has given to us. I think people who don't have much money are some of the most benevolent people on the planet. Number one, we've been there. Some of you have been there. 
Some of you could still be there. But I think people who don't have much are some of the most benevolent people on the planet. The reason why is because they're so appreciative of what God has given to them. They're so appreciative. And their benevolent heart just gets bigger and stronger. It does. I'm, I'm reminded, I was walking through uh, the Booth Museum this week. If you know where the Booth Memorial, I mean, the Booth, the Western Art Museum in uh, downtown Cartersville, have you ever been there? It is a great, it's an incredible place. It, it has won awards, national awards, for some of the, the best artwork and one of the best museums in the country. And I get to go to Booth Museum every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And the reason why is because I'm invited to this luncheon with some other men in, their, in, in the community, and they meet there every, every Tuesday for lunch. And in, in, in the back ballroom of Booth Western Art Museum. Now, I don't know why I got invited to this group because as I look at this group, they're, they're a bunch of movers and shakers in Bartow County. I'm definitely not a mover and shaker. I think I'm just there as a pastor just to make sure that, you know, things are, are you know, going okay with their conversation. I don't know. But I, I'm, I do get the honor to, to, and the privilege, and it is fun just hang out with some of those guys. And so, so every Tuesday I go there. Can, can I tell you something? Up until I started coming to this, this group, this luncheon, I had only been to the Booth Western Art Museum once. Paid the money, went there and went through all the exhibits and spent, you know, a couple of hours there. And it was great. Now, and I was just thinking of this this last week. And I was thinking, I need to use this in my sermon on Sunday. I go to the Booth Western Art Museum, I ordered my, my lunch, and then I walk through the majority of the museum to get to the back ballroom, and I'm just walking by all of these millions of dollars of, of sculptures and paintings, and I'm just walking by every Tuesday, not even looking at them. It's like I, it's like I don't even care. It's like... You know, but, but I do care, but I don't have time to just go by every Tuesday and look at all these sculptures and paintings. I mean, I don't pay money to walk in because I'm part of this luncheon group thing. And so I'm walking in, I'm walking, and it's like I don't even, I don't even value those things that surround me. I don't appreciate it. But don't we do the same thing in our lives? In, in, in the museum of our life that God has displayed on the walls around us, he's given us so many great things and we walk through our life and we don't even look at them and we don't even appreciate those things. So because of that, our benevolent heart doesn't grow. I encourage you. Take stock of what you have Walk through the museum of your life. Observe the things that God has displayed for you. And just take it in and appreciate it. Appreciate it for what it is and more importantly, for who it came from.
appreciate those things in your museum of life, and you will be able to have a benevolent heart. So David writes that this person who lives according to these characteristics, a blameless life, a bridal tongue, a balanced belief, a person who's bound by your words and a benevolent heart, a person who has those characteristics will never be moved, meaning nothing will shake him. His, consistent, his or her consistent lifestyle of godliness will act as a form of self-protection to avoid falling into sin and evil. Now, let me understand this. Make sure you understand this. Never be shaken doesn't mean things around you will not be shaken. That's very important for you to understand. A person who's never shaken who lives by these characteristics, David just made a list. A person who is never shaken is someone who stands steady and it doesn't matter what's going on around you. When a loved one dies, you lose a job, there's a bad health report, a wayward child, you know, something else happens in your life, but you Stand steady. You are not shaken. The best illustration I can use, and I wish I had a, uh, a larger one of these. This is my daughter Marion's sort of a snow globe she got in gymnastics. I know it's kind of hard to, hard to see, but you've seen these before. You may have one at your house. You shake it up. And then you look at it and say, oh, look how pretty. But there's chaos in this snow globe. Things are flying around. Because just a, a, a minute ago, things were settled. Things were good. Things were calm. Things were as, as they should be. Do you ever get to life and things just shake up? A person who's never shaken, is just like this, this figure in the middle. They're steady no matter what happens around them. And then instead of being consumed by all the craziness around, it becomes a thing of beauty for you to look at. Have you ever met someone who wasn't easily shaken and you, you watch them go through some really difficult times. And you look at them and you say, what a beautiful life. What an amazing life that God has given that person. That person is not shaken by the things around them. Why? Probably because they have some of these characteristics that David talks about in Psalm 15. Do you feel like your life is like a snow globe? A snow globe that is being shaken, except you as the centerpiece figurine is kind of dilapidated too. Maybe you've fallen. Can I tell you something? That's okay. God can help you 
get right back up. He, he gives you the formula. But it doesn't start by you saying, okay, I'm going to live a blameless life. I'm going to have a bridal tongue. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live a good life. That is a life of works. It doesn't start there. It doesn't start from the outside to moving in. It starts from the inside pushing out. And it starts with Jesus. It always starts with Jesus. It starts with you surrendering your life to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. Please settle me down. Please forgive me my sin. And then as, as, as you want to follow him and read his word and pray and become like him, your life to uh, like, this, like the one living inside of you, as you slowly but surely become like him, guess what? These things begin to fall into place. And you become a person who's not easily shaken. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're coming to a time in our service, whether you're here or watching online, I wanted to sort of make sure that you have the opportunity uh, to, to make a decision in your life. So we're gonna have a couple of opportunities. So number one, an opportunity to accept Christ as Savior. And if you're sitting here watching online, and if you say, you know, Frank, I've never accepted Christ. I'm, my life is easily shaken right now because I don't have Christ as the one that can bring me peace and can steady my life. If you've never done that, we can do that right here, right now. And it's just simply this. You can just repeat these words. Say, dear Jesus, please forgive me my sin. Please be Lord of my life. Please accept me as I am. I surrender my heart to you. I give my life to you. Please come into my life and help me to live for you, Jesus. And if you're sitting here today and you've accepted Christ as Savior, but you just, you've kind of fallen away, just recommit right now. Just with a, a prayer, something similar, like, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry for not reading your word. I'm sorry for not praying. I just didn't feel worthy. But I don't need to be worthy because you are my worth. I surrender my life to you. Help me, Lord, to, to fall in line with what you want me to be and help me to live for you. Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed any of those prayers, especially the, the prayer of salvation, I would love to hear about it. You could uh, send me an email, uh, pastor or at lakepointonline.com or frank at lakepointonline.com. Love to hear about it. Um, and I hope that you got something out of this today. In order to live a life that is not easily shaken, we've gotta do those things. So re reread this Psalm 15 this week and maybe start applying some of that to your life. Hey, you don't want to miss next week as we continue in our summer in the Psalms. Next week is Father's Day. You want to make sure you're here for that. Obviously, we're giving away the grill. That's fun. But more importantly, uh, we're going to have a Father's Day message that I'm super duper excited about. And so you don't want to miss it. Uh, we love you guys. We'll see you all back next week. Thank you.